I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for February 4th, 2011, and today we are talking about the 3,000 things in one thought moment. So today uh, we're going to be talking about a Tendai or Tiantai Buddhist concept. So this is a um, specific school of Buddhism that started in China and uh, was transmitted to Japan. So a lot of these ideas uh, are found in Japan too. Uh, and the idea is in Japanese, Ichinen Sanzen. Uh, Ichinen is a term that comes up here and there, and actually Shinran uses it. I just kind of that jumped into my mind. But for now, here it means a single thought moment, the, the shortest possible instant. And so that's Ichinen, and then Sanzen means 3,000, literally. Uh, here it seems to be referring to 3,000 worlds or maybe 3,000 things. Uh, we're thinking it might be hyperbolic, kind of like 84,000 and referring to just all things. Uh, but whatever it is, it's that these 3,000 worlds are in each thought moment. Uh, and so it's a complex uh, topic and uh, could go in a lot of different directions, uh, but we thought we would just look at it a little bit here today. Uh, so, you know, and I'm not sure, am I gonna say that, th okay, 3,000 things in a single thought moment. So it looks like also uh, that we're gonna have to talk about reincarnation a little bit, uh, revisit the old bugbear reincarnation. Uh, the topic, the Buddhist topic you love to <laughs> You debate. love to hate. You love to hate. You love to debate. <laughs> um, let's see. Normally we think of six realms. And if you're interested in this, go back to our old podcast from several years ago about reincarnation. Uh, the standard, uh, standard, the most common maybe way to talk about it is six realms, right? Uh, humans. Animals. You say it. <laughs> Humans and animals and uh, shuras or fighting gods and the gods themselves and hungry ghosts and the my favorite the various hell realms. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why they're my favorite. I think just because I've seen too many pictures of the Ojo Yoshu. Oh yeah, <clears throat> but that's a different story for a different day. So the ten realms. Ten realms takes those six and adds in arhats, pratyeka buddhas, bodhisattvas and Buddhas. Uh, Arhat are uh, the disciples of the Buddha that are um, trying to achieve enlightenment themselves, for themselves, rather than for all beings. Uh, when they achieve enlightenment, they just disappear. They no more rebirth, and so they just kind of poof, poof. That's the, the candle being extinguished metaphor. Okay. Pratyaka Buddha is uh, someone who achieves awakening by themselves without a teacher and then doesn't teach anyone else. Uh, they seem to be a straw man. It's not, it seems like, were yeah, there really more, people like yeah, that? You yeah. know, um, it's more this, again, this criticism of people who are in it for themselves. Because the bodhisattva is yeah. uh, not trying to achieve awakening only for themselves, but for the sake of all beings. Right? And then... The Buddha. The Buddha, number 10. The. 
Buddhas, those who achieve awakening. Uh, and this is Mahayana, so uh, achieve awakening and then continue to teach. And this could be a person or it could be on a more cosmic kind of sense. Uh, so the ten worlds is this kind of slightly different version of the six realms, right? And apparently in Japan, you often you don't often see the six realms by themselves. You know, you may have seen uh, if you you know go online or go in a bookstore, you'll see a picture of like this turtle demon holding this wheel of the six worlds, kind of a Tibetan image. Uh, apparently, that doesn't really appear that much in Japan. Uh, Japan. Japanese art apparently tends to be more this ten realms idea. So you will see this. You'll be like, why? You know, it looks like the six realms of reincarnation, but why? What are these other ones? Uh, it adds on those those four stages. This will sound familiar if you, you're in, it involved at all with the Lotus Sutra. Uh, this whole the categories of Arhat, Pratyeka Buddha, Bodhisattva, and Buddha. So what's it saying? Yeah, what is it saying? Um, I think one thing it does, and so this is uh, kind of maybe kind of a critique of reincarnation in a way, is one way it could be viewed um, in that I think that we normally think of reincarnation as a linear process, Mm. right? And that uh, if you accept reincarnation, which I believe many Buddhists do, but not all, uh, that uh, we're continually being reborn and going through all these different births. Yeah. And so if you do good things, you'll be lucky and be born in a good realm. And if you do bad things, you might be born in a bad realm. So there's a kind of an uh, ethical background to it as kind of an uh, incentive to do good things and not to do bad things. Right? It's always good to have an incentive yeah. <laughs> for your ethical behavior. Um, but to say that there's ten realms then suggests, because it, it implies anyway, that the four non-normal, non, non-standard realms are not necessarily rebirth realms Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it implies that to me anyway Mm -hmm. um because there's plenty i mean you know the buddha was not born the buddha right i mean in the same sense that you were born a person Mm -hmm. um so there's there's that aspect but i think this goes back to the um the three thousand things in one thought moment that we were getting to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and your statement that it's not necessarily taken in a literal view Right. Um, or a or linear, linear, sorry, view. a linear, linear view. Right, right. That reincarnation is no longer, and from this point of view, something that happens in a linear fashion, but is happening in a non-linear fashion. What does that mean? Yeah. So I think one thing we have to do is get from the 10 realms to the 3,000, and I'm going to profess my ignorance, and I didn't have time to do um, research as well as I should have, and I didn't, if I did, I forgot and didn't take notes. Uh, but I think that you can kind of extrapolate these 10 realms, multiply it by another 10 and by a 3, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. No, that's only 300. You can get the 3,000 realms somehow. I think it's, it's taking There's, there's this, some complex Buddhist math climbing. Yeah. <laughs> The new math, the new Buddhist math. Uh, But Buddhists love to do this kind of thing, right? Multiplying uh, numbers of different category systems to come up with um, uh, numbers. And so I'm pretty sure that this 3,000 uh, is the result of one of those. We'll look it up and and post it on the Facebook page or on the the, um, the web page when we get to it. Or we always say we're going to do that and it doesn't (laughs) happen. But in one sense, I think it points to all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 3,000 is a hyperbolic number. All things, all existing things. 
or apparently existing things in a Majamaka kind of sense, and uh, saying that, not that we're supposed to see them in succession in this linear sense, but that they all exist in each thought moment, right. in each instant. So now this, this, this is, for, for me, raising the, the question of interdependence. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think it can be see, viewed as a kind of a radical, uh, a doctrine of radical interdependence interconnectedness yeah right and that it's not like oh this uh animal is living out its life and its animal existence and then when it dies it's going to be reborn as a god and then when it dies it's going to be reborn as a hungry ghost but that this instant of animal existence actually contains all existences god hungry ghost animal whatever now does it contain only for that individual or can we, I, th- I think Tendai wanted to explode it outwards really radically. And so it's not like, oh, my life, I'm a hungry ghost and a this and a that uh, as separate from others, but that each thought moment contains all things. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back up a second. <laughs> Just, back, just back up a minute, man. Uh, so, so because... I think that this conversation starts with this idea of one thought moment and in speaking now as a limited, foolish, deluded being, whenever I hear a thought moment, the first thing that pops into my mind is, well, whose thought moment, Mm. right? This idea that a thought necessarily belongs to a thinker, right? Mm. Um, So when we say the the 3,000 things in one thought moment, I immediately go back to, well, am I thinking? having this thought moment and in that thought moment, all things are happening. Um, but the way you just described it seemed completely radically different from that, um, where you did not use a sort of personified individual kind of thought moment. It was just simply thought moment. Mm-hmm. And in that thought moment, all things are happening throughout the universe, apparently, um, which is heavy, hard stuff to, to contend with. It makes my brain hurt. <laughs> Worse than the Buddhist new math. <laughs> but but um, in all seriousness, um, I think that's an interesting, an interesting, I think that, that, that you're right, and that's what Ten, uh, Chentai is heading in, and this, this idea of, of really pushing the, the boundaries of this logic that all things are interpenetrating, interdependent, uh, simultaneously happening sort of idea and sort of pushing it to that extreme. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? I think so. Because um, I remember when we were doing our interdependence episode from many moons ago, actually many suns ago, many years ago, um, one thing that I was reading, uh, one of the books, the translations of the Pali Canon, was mentioning interdependence and talking about it, uh, I think, in terms of 12-fold chain of causation mm-hmm. and saying that uh, interdependence uh, is, is about the 12-fold chain of causation. It's about right. how, you know, all the stages we go through uh, from ignorance through to um, the, all the problems of samsara and then turn it around backwards to get out of it. That's interdependence. It's not the Mahayana cosmic feel-good kind of interdependence. And it, it may not have said feel-good, but there was a kind of a jab at Mahayana there. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, uh, David McMahon is a scholar who's done some work on this. I know he wrote a paper that I think is in the most recent issue of Pacific World. Um, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but it's about the, I think he calls it like the history of interdependence. And he talks about this issue about how interdependence was in some ways a modern construction mm-hmm. and that... Um, 
pre-modern Buddhists wouldn't necessarily have thought about interdependence in this Mahayana feel-good sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting piece. You should check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's does, it's not a, a to me. Maybe this is just because I'm a, a modern person, but it doesn't seem like a particularly great leap to go from the twelvefold chain of causation to a Mahayanist view of feel good interdependence. Um, particularly thinking about how again one thought moment. Um, I know that there were debates in very early Buddhism about what exactly is a thought moment. Right, there were debates about how how long a thought moment is, um, and there was the question of continuity between thought moments. If, if we're constantly this ball of changing things and there's no permanent essence to who we are, then what is the perceived continuity between one moment to the next? It, you know, how do I make the sort of ontological uh, argument that who I am right now at you know, 3.01 p.m. and 35 seconds is the same person who I was at 3.01 and 34 seconds? Where's the continuity between those two moments in time? Um, and I feel like you can use a 12-fold chain of causation on a more metaphorical or symbolic level, not just to talk about individual sentient beings, but about each moment mm-hmm. in ontological space, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. We're doing some heavy philosophical lifting today. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this is at the basis of a lot. This is where a lot of stuff grows out of, I think, yeah. And I think, you know, that's interesting about the the, the kind of cosmic interdependence as a modern construction and i don't know if i buy that just because of like the huayen the flower garland kind of stuff of the indra's net and the mirrors that reflect all the different things right and and, and for the record i'm grossly oversimplifying professor mcmahon's comments and you should check out the actual article but everyone go check it out yeah (laughs) if it's in pacific world and it's online yes at shin-ibs.edu nice plug there thank you um (laughs) and of course you can find it over in the uh links on our uh, website and over at the Facebook page too, but yeah, but 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 you were saying about the Hawaiian and 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 it seems to me like there's these ideas of interdependence and the three thousand things in one thought moment is Chantai, which is different from Hawaiian, but it's all very it's from the same. Uh, part of the world and same part of uh, same era, uh, time era and whatnot, and so there's I think there's probably almost definitely overlap between these ideas. Yeah. At the very least, they're in dialogue with one another. Right. Um, so it's not totally off base right. Right. to make these connections. Yeah. From and then here you have to look at the history too, and um, how in China uh, most of the schools kind of disappear, and then Tiantai and uh, Chan or Zen become like the two main institutions. Yeah. Uh, so that this uh, 3,000 worlds in one thought moment has a kind of Tiantai idea, but I think it kind of permeates outwards. Sure. And one example I've seen of that is there's a, um, there's a book uh, about the Wheel of Rebirth recently, and we'll try to give you that reference later too. It's pretty neat. A lot of artwork. And he has, that's where I saw uh, this woodblock from Tokugawa era, Edo period Japan, um, talking about this. And in trying to figure out who it is that wrote the text that goes along with it, it looks like it's a Shingon scholar. Hmm. So Shingon and Tendai, we don't normally, you know, normally we see them as separate, uh, and but it seems like this idea had um, kind of leaked outwards, you know, um, permeated outwards um, from only Tendai, Tiantai kind of stuff. Sure, sure. So one place that I've kind of gone with this is uh, I lost my cat recently. Uh, she passed away. Um, 
And so trying to understand that because uh, the issue of reincarnation, the issue of uh, birth in the pure land, right? So on a very, very much on a kind of personal, real level, what happened to my cat? How do I understand uh, my cat uh, dying? Is she okay? Uh, is she in kitty heaven? <laughs> is she, um, has she been reborn and as a cat and having eaten meat her whole life? Um, was, you know, is she probably in a lower level of birth? You know, those are, um, we can think about them intellectually, but then when you actually encounter, experience this loss, then I think those questions can become more real. And so I went Shinshu with it. Radical Shinshu. Maybe not, I think I went beyond Shinshu, maybe. <laughs> Radical Shinshu? Or, yeah. tra- or traditional Shinshu? Radical. Oh. Because I think the traditional Shinshu would say you have to entrust in Amida. You have to get Shinjin. You have to say the Nembutsu. Right? And even saying the Nembutsu isn't enough, right? You have to get Shinjin. You have to get the entrusting mind has to be awakened in you uh, in order to be born in the Pure Land. Right? And if you don't get that, you can at least be born in the borderland. If you say it, you might doubt, but you've said it. You know, right? This is kind of the rhetoric. Right? And it's actually kind of an interesting question because you know, people will say, well, what is the orthodox response on for someone that doesn't have Shinjin, has never heard of the Nembutsu, never heard of Buddhism, when they die, what happens? Mm-hmm. Are all people, and you know, there are different answers within Shinshu too. There's, I think one might be they're out of luck. You know, that you, yeah, you have to encounter the Nembutsu. You have to encounter the teachings for this system to work. Uh, There are others that say, and I've heard this said, and I think we've talked about it before, uh, Amida's compassion is all-embracing and unlimited. Yeah. So you don't even have to have heard of it. You're already embraced without even being aware of it and never encountering it. See, both of these perspectives are so problematic to me. Yep, For absolutely. very different reasons. <laughs> yep. So we can go there. Um, within the first one, my cat's out of luck. Yeah. Unless she heard me reciting the Nembutsu, maybe, and sure. heard the name, right? But she doesn't, technically, she's not yeah, human. The, the cognitive right? ability. To, have, right. yeah. Although there are birth stories of, you know, the the um, tales of the Pure Land births, that, um, the bird that recites the name or whatever, right? Um, the parrot. Um, so there's a lot of different approaches. But um, I think the way I went with it is the returning aspect mm. um, that Shinran talks about. And so, uh, and I think we've talked about this kind of recently, the Pure Land path has two aspects. This is how Kyogyo Shinsho starts out, right? There's the going aspect and then the returning aspect. So the going aspect is most of the Kyogyo Shinsho. That's uh, most of what we have to do, and that's how do we get to the Pure Land? How do we go to the Pure Land? But then, having gone to the Pure Land, what happens? We return. We come back. The Pure Land, in Shinran's understanding, isn't a heavenly place, a happy place that we go to to enjoy or even to practice. Mm The, pure, the true pure land means we attain Buddhahood and then return. Wait, say that again. The, the true pure land is uh, birth in the pure, we die, we're born in the pure land, we become Buddha, and then we return to samsara. Right, all in one. others, in an instant. In an instant, Or maybe yeah, three yeah. instants, I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> um, 
either, either one thought moment or three. Right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. Um, Which, go, yeah, go on. So most, most of the time I think we think, well, how do I get to the pure land? What's this going aspect? Mm-hmm. But it seems like the returning aspect is really important for Shinran too. And I don't want to overstate the importance, but I've looked at that more, I think, within the past few years. And it's kind of like the reverse of the, the bodhisattva path um, in the sense that, well, if I see myself as going to the Pure Land and others going, but there's others who have already gone. So maybe they've returned. Maybe they've come back. Maybe there um, are returned Buddhas now. Right? What does that mean? How would I understand that? Is it like a floating Buddha, you know, looking like the Buddha images that we're used to or, or what? You know, so that's a whole um, another issue that I don't know that we'll get to today. But I kind of understood my cat after the fact as a returned Buddha, as that um, an enlightened being teaching me. Right. Right. So that I can understand her life and her death in that context. So she wasn't a being, a foolish being bound up in samsara and having to be reborn again, but that actually she was Buddha and she is Buddha now. A um, little different than the 3,000 things in one thought moment that we'd be talking about, but oh, I think, I, it I think kind it's of, exactly the same. Yeah, it matches together, right? And I, and I think that you should overstate the importance of this in Shinran's okay. thought. Okay. Quite frankly. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting to me because you started this off by saying that you went radical Shunshu, and I don't know, that seems very appropriate to me. I think that one of the sort of un, uh, unappreciated things about Shinran is that he always seemed very radical to me, and, t- and just in terms of philosophically taking an idea and sort of pushing it to its logical extreme, mm-hmm. um, that's how I've always sort of understood his idea about like the evil person or... You know, it's sort of like, well, you know, if we have all this karmic burden, what do we do with it? And he sort of pushes it to this extreme of, well, you know, we're all evil. And it's like, that's very interesting to me. It's sort of an interesting philosophical twist. And the uh, uh, Ichinen Sanzen idea seems like a sort of pushing a logical extreme to, uh, to, a, certain, to a certain point. Um, so why not? <laughs> you know, take this stuff from our point of view and, and push it to that extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's totally related. If we're talking again about each thing happening at the same time, then part of our problem is that we get stuck, like you were saying, you know, how do I get to the pure land? But if we're thinking about it in terms of everything happening all at once, there is no I getting to the pure land in that sort of dualism between self and other. It's all compressed into an extreme uh, holism um, that maybe even omnicentric holism maybe an omnicentric holism um, that is a sort of a, you know it, it's a different way of looking at things and you from that point of view I think it makes sense to say well we usually think of people passing away and going but they've already sort of come back mm-hmm. prior to now mm-hmm. and that sort of changes your perspective on time which mm-hmm. I struggle with because I really, you know, I experience time in a linear way, so I have a hard time letting go of the idea of time being linear, but maybe that's not the only way to look at reality. And, you know, I think in a way these are issues that um, Buddhism has often dealt with. Um, Yeah, my point of view when she was a cat was, you know, alive, was simply, oh yeah, it's a cat. Yeah. 
I understand this, right? She's a cat. Uh, she has a litter box that I have to clean. Um, she eats cat food. You know, she's um, subject to subject to cat illnesses, right? And it just seems like, yeah, obvious cat. Hello, I can perform <laughs> some experiments. You know, I can take scientific method and figure out, you know, categorize the animal as a cat and everything, and you know, as a pet or whatever. Uh, but then this uh, different view, I think that maybe the Ichinen Sanzen too, that 3,000 things in a single thought moment, we can understand, uh-huh, it seemed to me that she was a cat, but looking back now, I can see she was more than that. Right? that she manifested a lot of different things beyond just catness. Right? Um, we actually call her a transformer. <laughs> Have I told you this? No. Because <laughs> sometimes she looked like a bear. Um, sometimes she, she would like be like another. We have a picture of her um, sitting there, and her shadow looks like a snail. <laughs> <laughs> like we saw all these different things in her, so we called her transformer. <laughs> that she, her voice would you know, sound like different things. Um, and so it's kind of interesting. So it's kind of like um, bodhisattva, trans, transformer bodhisattva, <laughs> transformer cat bodhisattva. Um, and maybe she was manifesting uh, bodhisattva-ness too, right? And Buddha-ness uh, at the time, which normally in the moment, I think we're usually not aware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Normally, I think cat. Right. And I think there's probably also a certain innate cynicism and, and reluctance to, you know, take those sorts of things seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some people have an easy time accepting that there's things in the world that I don't understand or looking at things symbolically or, or whatnot, but I think a lot of people probably are hesitant to, mm-hmm. to sort of go down that road, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and, and accept that your cat was magic. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> she was like a um, Kishin Bosatsu, the yeah. transformation body <laughs> right, 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 right. Buddha, or Kishin Buddha, really, yeah. right? That she was a transformation body of the Buddha. So that's what's interesting. That's right. The troll transformer thing is kind of interesting because transformers are the robots. They're, they're like cars, but they're robots, and they can change shape. Yeah, yeah, right? totally, totally. And so the whole idea of the transformation <laughs> bodies of the Buddha, right, that the Buddha manifests. And so this is one way to understand how do I understand Buddha coming to me, becoming Buddha, and then coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's that Buddha manifests in myriad ways. Right? And um, Tan Luan talks about this, um, one of the seven masters. I got him in there, seven masters. Um, the whole idea of that the, the Buddha's powers are limitless right? and can manifest in all these different forms. And you find that in the sutras and like the contemplation sutra, and he can teleport yeah, or he yeah, can yeah. manifest his body somewhere else. Um, he can uh, transformation Buddhas come out of the light coming out of him and everything. Right, right. right. It's quantum physics, man. Yeah. It's totally quantum <laughs> physics. So <laughs> I think that we can take this example of my cat, right, and seeing, aha, uh-huh, like retrospectively. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, too, I think there's a comfort to that, you know, knowing that, okay, she's okay. She's gone back to the pure land. Right? And is here now in a way too, right? Like she's still teaching, uh-huh. whether that's in a memory or whatever. Um, she's still teaching me. Uh, so there is that comfort aspect. But then I think we can take it further. And again, I don't know if I'm pushing Shinran too far, but okay, if I can see her as a bodhisattva, maybe then, or Buddha, then maybe other people that I encounter now are also that. Uh, and this gets into the... Uh, 
very like subjective aspect of Jodo Shinshu and uh, you know I think that's an issue too to being too objective with some Buddhist doctrines and thinking we can analyze then go out and analyze things um, but we're going to have to put this off uh, for our next podcast Thank you.